All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall. For it was founded on the rock. Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell in great was its fall. Let's pray. Lord, we had the privilege of having rain come just within the hour. The rain descended upon this house. And Lord, we don't know if it flooded outside, but a lot of this scripture already was literally happening in this house and with us tonight. Winds blew, winds beat upon this house that we're gathered in. But Lord, the house is still standing and we're thankful. We pray that our house would stand firm. Lord, build us on your rock. Build us on the rock of revelation. Build us on the rock, the Lord Jesus. And may we have a firm foundation. Lord, in these many weeks, Lord, a year and a half of studying this great sermon. Lord, help us to apply and live out what we have heard, what we have read, what we have studied, what we have done exercises to, what we have taken notes for. Lord, we pray that we would, by your mercies and goodness and power of your Holy Spirit, that we would live this sermon so that the name of Jesus could be glorified in and through our lives. So Lord, again, we pray that we'd all have ears to hear, a heart to receive and a will to obey to the glory and to the majesty of our God. Speak now, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. Well, last week I uh, I sat in with uh, Dale and and the fellows in his group, and uh, I like what Dale said last week. He said, "You know, this Jesus is closing this Sermon on the Mount not with a light landing." He's closing the sermon with a heavy landing. Dale went on to say, 
It's like Jesus taking us by the shoulders and looking in our eyes and saying, I really want you to get this. Do you understand the seriousness of what I'm telling you? It's all about relationship. And the whole sermon is about obedience. So Dale, thanks. I think you've caught it. You know, at the close of Matthew 7, Jesus concludes his teaching to his disciples as earnestly as he began back in Matthew chapter 5. Seems like a long time ago when we all memorized as great multitudes were gathering to him. He went up on a mountaintop and after he sat down, he opened his mouth and began to teach them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? But Jesus warned those who had heard his words not to just hear them, but to be careful to practice them. And it's a false gospel that says that we can be saved with no intention of obeying the Lord. Honestly, I think we make it too easy today in our preaching of the gospel. There's hardly no cost, no price to be paid, and yet Jesus paid it all. The gospel is as true today as it was when Jesus died. It's a life for a life. It cost him all of his. It costs us nothing less. People are saved with no intention of obeying the Lord. That's not the true gospel. The Sermon on the Mount describes the life that can be lived when someone abides in Jesus and lives by the power of his Holy Spirit. And although hearing the word of God is important in building our faith, it is in our belief in and obedience to the scriptures that really pleases the Lord. And if we obey all that the Lord tells us, we're going to be secure in him with our lives founded upon the rock will not be shaken or overthrown by the storms of life. I like what David says in Psalm 62, verses 6 and 7. He says, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength. And my refuge is in God. What a testimony. I want you to listen to what James, the Apostle James writes in James 1. Just listen to it. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Version. He writes, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, and then you walk away, and you totally forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, 
And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for living it out in your daily practical lives. Friends, if we hear the word of God and do not obey it, the scriptures make it clear we're deceiving ourselves. We end up living in denial. We tend to forget what we do not put into practice. Hear that again. We tend to forget what we do not put into practice. Verse 25 says that we're blessed in what we do, not merely in what we hear. An essential character trait of believers in Jesus is obedience. Obedience. So God wants us to have both a hearing heart, a hearing ear and an obedient heart. Now I want you to turn to 1 Samuel. I've really loved this story this week and soaking in it. 1 Samuel 15 is a story about Samuel and Saul. Now Samuel was called to anoint Saul. He kind of hesitated, but then he ended up anointing him. And in verse 1 it says, So Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord has sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Now how many of you believe that this is the word of the Lord? The Lord sent Samuel to anoint Saul to be the king. But he ends up saying, you've got to heed the voice of God. This is part of your responsibility of being king. Then he comes out in verse 2 and now says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now verse 3. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Wow. How many of you believe that these words are the words of God? That God told Samuel to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Hmm. Maybe you're not quite sure. I tell you this, God had an excellent reason for giving this command. Our natural humanistic thinking is God commanding men, women, children, all animals to be totally annihilated. It does not settle well with our human reasoning. In fact, there's war in our minds and in our hearts. Here's the war. Does God really know best? Or do we know best when we do not understand his ways? Or sometimes 
our ways seem more just. Because Saul did not obey this command. Years later, another Amalekite rose to a place of power named Haman in the book of Esther, who tried to annihilate all the Jewish people. In fact, he had the edict already sent out. The kingdom of this world is at war with the kingdom of our God and his Christ. War. And social justice is very different from biblical justice even though they have many crossovers. Social justice comes from man's reasoning. But biblical justice comes from the words of God, His perfect wisdom. So who are we going to trust? Our own intellect or what other people have taught us? or spoken to us, or argued with us, or are we going to fully trust in the rock, in the written word of God? And especially when the words of man seem to make more sense to us. I didn't get it the first time I read this. God told them to totally annihilate everyone. That's hard with our human reasoning. But God said through the prophet Isaiah, My thoughts, says the Lord, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, says the Lord, higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. The bottom line is Samuel was a great man of God. In fact, his name, Shmuel, means God heard. God hears. He was a hearing judge prophet. And he consistently heard from God. And amazingly so, he was filled with such wisdom that they made him the chief justice in all of Israel. He was the main judge, the main person that dispersed judgment and justice. And God was with this man powerfully. And in his wisdom, Samuel knew that in the spirit that Saul had only partially obeyed the command of the Lord. He knew that. And when the two met after the battle, Saul says in verse 13, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He lied. And he began covering it up in verse 15, saying, For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. You see, the nature of sin is that we're going to shift blame. It goes all the way back to the garden. God looked at Eve and God looked at Adam and Adam said, it was her. 
He looks at her and she says it was the serpent. It's shifting blame continually. It was the people. Saul confronts, I mean, Samuel confronts evil's evil intent in verses 16 through 19. And then Saul has the audacity to repeat again the lie in verses 20 and 21. The people took the plunder. Finally, Samuel interrupts him and says, stop. Verse 22. Has the Lord a great, as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as he does in obeying his voice? Behold, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission to his word greater than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And because you, Saul, have rejected the word of the Lord, God has rejected you from being king. What a word. I don't have it in my notes, but in a life verse that came to me was the next phrase that Samuel said to Saul. He's looking at him, and Saul's got his full attention. He says, Saul, when you were little, in your own eyes, God established the kingdom. But now pride has lifted your heart, and the kingdom is being taken away from you and given to another. Saul started out being little, in his own eyes. He had humility. And God only gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. But he pours out grace to the humble. And God delights in our obedience to him. Obedience is better than all the sacrifices we can bring. And unfortunately, it's our human nature to choose our own way like Saul did. And then try to make up for it to the Lord with the sacrifice. Whether it's a sacrifice of our time, our service, or even a financial gift. God always prefers obedience to the greatest sacrifices we can ever offer. Do what he says to you. Do not insist on your own way. And then hope to make it up to him through sacrifices. Listen, I personally have been guilty of that. Missed what God wanted me to do? Okay, Lord, I'll, I'll give you more of this. I'll do more of this. Listen, I have learned that never works with God. Never. And according to John 15, 14, the key to being Jesus' friend, which I talked about last week, is to do whatever he commands us to do. Our testimony should be like that of Jesus expressed in John 4.34 when he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. To do God's will should be the nourishment and the passion of our lives. I want you to turn to 1 John. First letter of John, chapter 1. <clears throat> Just want to read a few verses, 5 through 7. 
1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him, referring to Jesus, and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In order to have fellowship with God, who is light and truth, we have to walk in light and truth. And our level of fellowship with God and with others depends upon our level of obedience to the light and to the truth. The greater light and the greater truth that we are living in, our fellowship becomes more rich. The reason for relationship is fellowship. The reason for relationship is fellowship. Now, it's possible to have relationship without fellowship. What do I mean? Well, a disobedient child is still related to his parents. Even though he's disobedient, there's a relationship. But the fellowship is broken until there is confession, apology, and reconciliation. A rebellious wife and an unloving husband are still married. But their fellowship is damaged. So it is with God and us. We're still His children even when we sin. But our life-giving fellowship, communion with Him is damaged. And by sinning, we forfeit his presence and peace and ability in a greater way to recognize his voice to us. Our hearts get hardened and our ears become hard of hearing. When we've broken fellowship with God, we struggle to relate lovingly with one another. However, if we confess our sin, and daily apply the blood of Jesus to our hearts and to our lives, and walk in truth and light with Him, we will have precious communion with both Him and with His people. Before Janet comes to close out the evening by sharing about the power of God's Word, I, I want to just share a few verses from David expressed in the Psalms. I love Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Two verses earlier, he says, How shall a young adult keep his way pure? Or her way pure? By meditating or by taking heed or obeying your word. Now I added young adult. But taking heed and obeying and meditating is how we keep our way pure throughout the day. 
Finally, I want us all to turn to Matthew 7. I want us to look at verses 28 and 29. Here are the concluding verses of the chapter. It says, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these things, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus taught that day with all the backing and authority of heaven. Amazing how he shared this entire sermon with just a few guys. But that same divine authority supports and stands behind his words today as we study them in this great Sermon on the Mount. They're anointed. These are the anointed scriptures. And they're to be obeyed today just as Jesus meant for them to be obeyed when he first spoke to them. When he went up to the top of the mountain, he sat down, opened his mouth, and began to teach them. Janet, come. When Reuben was talking about the relationship and the fellowship, I thought of something I hadn't thought about in a long time. <clears throat> Reuben and I were at a conference years ago. We were in Ohio. And there, one of the conference speakers was from New Zealand. His name was Trevor Yaxley. And Trevor talked about speaking at, a, at another conference in New Zealand. And his whole family was there. His family all walked with the Lord. But his son had said to him, I'm going to go ahead and leave and go home. His son was 16. He said, I'm going to go ahead and go home and I'll see y'all when you get there. So Trevor and his wife left maybe 30 minutes later and they're driving along the highway and they saw that there had been an accident up ahead and he knew his son was in that accident and as they got closer that you know the police were making everyone stop and he said that's my son in it i know that's my son and it was for sure his son's car and they had the jaws of life and they opened it and his son was killed on impact and about a month or two later he was just talking with the Lord one day, he was looking outside, they kind of lived in the country, and he said, man, Lord, I miss my son. I miss our hunting, I miss our fishing, I miss, I miss being together, I miss my son. And his father said, well, you know where your son is. He said, yeah, I know where he is, but I miss him. He said, but he's still your son. And he said, yeah, but he's not here. And the Lord said, yes, relationship without fellowship stinks. And that's how he feels about us. You know, he's adopted us. He chose us. And so we have relationship with the Father. But if we don't have fellowship with him, that stinks. It stinks for us and it stinks for him. What's the point, you know, of having this wonderful, special, cherished relationship if we just don't spend any time with him? We don't listen to him. We don't speak to him. We don't read his word. So I want to talk to you about the power in God's Word because this last section he had said 
that uh, both of these men did the same thing. They both heard the word. They were both in a storm. They both built a house. The difference was one obeyed the word and he stood firm through the storm. The other one disobeyed the word and his house fell apart. So we can read the Bible every day, but if we don't obey it, we won't change. We won't become more like Jesus. Um, we'll know the Lord a little bit better. We'll be a bit refreshed in our minds. But if we don't apply the word to our lives, as we read in James 1, we'll just be deceived. And we won't ever reach the place that God has for us. So it's very important to be in the scripture, but it's also important to obey it. I think I've mentioned this before. I'm just going to mention it again. <clears throat> The Hebraic mindset, when the Hebrews, the Jewish people, look at the scriptures, they read what to obey. What, I want to get to know God, and I want to know what He wants me to obey. That's why they get to know the Word. The Greeks, or the Western mindset, is we read in order to know. We love knowledge. We love academics. And so we read because we want to know more. But that's not the Hebraic mindset, and we are grafted into the Hebraic tree, right? The Jewish tree, the olive tree. And that is, we read in order to know what to obey. What is obedience for us? So let's start with 2 Timothy 3.16. If you'll turn there with me, 2 Timothy 3.16. And read verses 16 and 17 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know what that means? That all of scripture contains God's DNA. He has breathed his DNA into scripture. Imagine if we were all blowing up balloons, okay? So if we all blew up a balloon, a scientist could come in here and tell you which balloon was yours according to the DNA in that balloon. Because as you blew your breath into it, your DNA went into the balloon. So it's the same picture that how vital the Word of God is to our spiritual lives. If we will read the Word, we'll meditate on the Word, it's like receiving mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. It gives life. When we read the Word, we are ingesting God's DNA. We must not only read the Word, we need to have a relationship with it. We should come to God's Word with humility and expectation, not casually, not distracted. It doesn't help to open the Bible, read the first few verses, and your mind goes somewhere far, far away, and you continue to read. Your, your eyes see the words, but your mind is way over here. That doesn't do any good. You don't know what to obey. So we need to come humbly, expectant, eager, hungry to hear from God, not casually, not distracted. We need to be intimate with the Word of God. We need to allow it to wash over us, to move us. We ponder it. We let it sink deeply into our hearts, into our lives. We take the Word into our spirits and we have it written on our hearts. It changes our lives. That's what we want. 
we receive it so that it can change our lives, so that we can get to know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Turn to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua 1, 8. Familiar passage. <clears throat> the Lord is speaking to Joshua, the new leader. He took over from Moses. In verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So he did not say, read the word every day, and you'll be successful. He said, this book of the law, the word of God, shall not depart from your mouth. That means you speak about it. It says, you meditate in it day and night. You don't just read it, you don't just study it. You soak in the Word of God. You marinate in the Word of God. You allow the Holy Spirit to teach you as you're in the Scriptures. He says, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. So there again is the picture of we read, we study, we meditate in order to know what to do, what to obey. And then if you'll go to, to Psalm 1, same idea here, Psalm 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. He doesn't grudgingly open the scriptures because he knows he has to. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You want to prosper in your life? Meditate in the word of God. So many believers around the world are not allowed to have a Bible. It's banned in their country. And we in the West have so many Bibles and uh, we have far too many Bibles, and often we treat our Bibles with disrespect. We'll get in the car and toss our Bible into the back seat. We'll walk into our house and toss our Bible onto the bed. We'll have our Bible there on the coffee table, and we'll put a cup of coffee on top of it. We really disrespect the Word of God. If we would change the way we even treat the written Word of God, it would affect the way we encounter the Word of God and the author of the Word of God. I know that sounds legalistic. But you know, it's like, it's like if we say, when we bow before the Lord, we kneel before the Lord, our posture affects the way we encounter Him. And it's the same. How we treat the Word of God will affect the way we encounter the Scriptures, and that's encountering the Lord Himself. You know, Jesus is the living Word, but it's mainly through the written word that we encounter Jesus. Why should we have a relationship with the Bible? I'm only going to give you two points. First, it gives us a clear and proper view of God and how we are to relate to Him. In His Word, God tells us who He is, what He does, what he loves and what he hates. Don't you think that's a good thing to know? 
Yeah, it is good. Thank you. His word is the blueprint of his heart, his mind, and his will. You want to get to know the Lord? Get to know the word. Don't just read it quickly to get through your two chapters before you run out the door to go to work. You know, soak in it. Think about it. Meditate in it. Pray through the word as you read it. I would say it's far better to have three verses of scripture that you've meditated on for 30 minutes than to have two chapters that you've read over 30 minutes. The meditation will change your life. Jesus, um, let me just jump on. If we don't have a relationship with God's word, we will have a distorted or an incomplete view of God. And as a result, we'll have a shallow relationship with him. If we're not obedient to what we read, we can read the word every day and not become more like Jesus, like I said earlier. So that's the first point. Reading the scripture will give us a proper and clear view of God and how we need to relate to him, how we can relate to him, because this is the blueprint of his heart, his mind, his will. We want to know the Lord. We have the privilege of having the written word of God. So by all means, let's avail ourselves of it. Let's don't wait till they come for our Bibles and we say, shoot, I should have read it more. You know, let's take time now to read it, study it, memorize it, meditate in it. And then the second point I want to make is knowing the word will strengthen our prayer lives. It will make them more effective. There's great power in praying God's word. So turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, we're going to read verses 10 and 11. It says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty or without fruit but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Let me read that verse again. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So if we discern God's heart for a situation and we pray the appropriate verses then we know that we're praying God's will for that person or for that situation. God's word cannot be barren. It doesn't return to him void or empty. It will accomplish what he sends it to do. So when we declare the word, that's, po that's powerful. When we read the word out loud, that's powerful. And when we pray the word, that is extra powerful. Don't just pray out of your own mind or out of your own thoughts. You know, as good as that is, out of your own heart, you know, most people pray out of their souls. Let me encourage you, pray out of the Word of God. This is our best prayer tool right here. Get to know the Word well enough so that when you're praying over a person or a situation, you know by the Spirit of God what to pray and you know the Scripture to pray into it. That is a powerful way to pray. It is a lot more powerful than praying your thoughts. Pray the Lord's thoughts. They won't return to him void. 
When our hearts and our minds are filled with God's word, it will be obvious in our prayers. We will pray boldly in faith. We'll confess God's faithfulness. We'll declare God's goodness. We'll pray relevant scriptures over our concerns. Our prayers will not be hesitant. They won't be filled with unbelief or fear because we will know our God, we will know the word, and we will pray with authority. The last verses Reuben read that said that Jesus taught as one with authority. We have authority in Jesus too because we're born again of the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit within us. We have the Word of God that has its own authority. We can pray with authority. We can speak with authority. But we need all of that based in the Word of God. This is God's DNA. Let's breathe it in. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That means God's word gives direction for each step, that's my feet, and gives wisdom for my long-range plans, that's my path. So we need the word to guide us, correct us, instruct us, and confirm direction to us. So again, it's a light to my feet, every step I take, and it's a lamp to my path that I can see far ahead. It's a light to my path. No book is more hated or loved than the Bible. It is the all-time bestseller worldwide every year. People have given their lives for their Bibles. When they've been threatened with their lives, give me your Bible, and they refuse to, they've been shot on the spot. They've been tortured on the spot. People do anything to keep the Word of God. When you realize how important it is, then, then you will spend the time necessary to really get it into your system, get it into your heart and your mind, let it change the way you think. Instead of just thinking your thoughts, let your mind be renewed in the Word of God so that you're thinking thoughts along His line. Instead of feeling with your own compassion, let His Word fill you where the love of God fills you and you're filling with God's compassion. This is what will change our lives. As we encounter the Lord in prayer and as we encounter Him in the Word, He will change our lives. Let me just read off to you some benefits of being in the Word of God. As I read this, you'll you'll recognize some of the verses where they're from. It will help you hear God's voice. It will direct your steps and give you vision for the future. It will equip you to defeat the enemy when he tempts or attacks you. It will bring you great peace and protect you from being easily offended. It will develop fruitfulness in your life. It will increase and improve your prayer life. It will restore your soul and give you understanding and wisdom. It will increase your faith in God and your faithfulness to God. It will provide you with healing and freedom. It will revive you in times of failure and in times of discouragement. God's Word is like a fire that will purge you of sin and ignite you with passion for God. It will strengthen you in times of grief, and it will help you develop an eternal perspective. Do you see how we need the Word of God? We need the Word of God to change. See, we live on this level, and we tend to think and speak on this level. Man, brothers and sisters, we are called to a higher level. We need to seek the things that are above where Christ sits, at the right hand of the throne of God, have an eternal perspective. And the Word of God helps us get there. So we need to be in the Word every day. We need to read it, meditate on it, soak in it, marinate in it, let it renew our minds and transform our lives. Let's pray. 
Lord, we are so grateful for your scriptures. Thank you that we live in a free country where we can own a Bible and have it in our home and not have to hide it. Lord, I pray that you'd stir up a hunger in every one of our hearts for the Word of God. You'd stir up a passion in us for your Word. I pray, Lord, that we would not be uh, complacent, we'd not be passive, but we would run after you and run after your Word and reach that place, Lord, that you have for each one of us, a deep place of abiding in you, a deep place of knowing the scriptures, a powerful place of speaking the word, a powerful place of, of quoting the scripture and praying the scripture. Lord, I pray that we would all be faithful to meditate day and night in your word, that we would be careful to observe all that is written there, that we might be prosperous and successful in everything that you call us to do. Would you forgive us when we've neglected your word and may we never neglect it again by your grace and with your help, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.